0: Hey, welcome to the All In podcast. This week, I'm joined by Mikey Taylor. Mikey is a pro skateboarder turned entrepreneur, and he has an incredible story of how he first became a pro skateboarder, how his career ended uh, shorter than he thought, but how he had already kind of planned for that future. He had a business started, and then he ended up starting a real estate investing firm, which is really awesome. He's going to teach you some great tips on how you can get started in the real estate investing world. How athletes should be building their wealth and thinking about these types of things, how he adjusted his lifestyle to save and build for the future when his career would end, knowing that that could happen at any point, as well as his experience with mental health and loss of identity and things like that when his career ended. So I think this is going to be a great episode on so many different fronts. I learned so much from Mikey, and I know you will too. This is your host, Natalie Allport, and on this podcast, we dive into the mindset, knowledge, and stories behind inspiring and passionate individuals who know what it takes to go all in. So whether you're here for motivation, to learn something new, or just real conversation, I'm humbled you're listening and stoked to go all in with you.
1: Hey, what's up?
0: Not too much. Uh, of course, I always have to adjust the camera the minute it connects.
1: <laughs> I know, seriously. There
0: you go. <laughs> the struggle the live. How, how, how are you doing? How's pandemic life in Cali?
1: Uh it's going (laughs) it's going the biggest adjustment for us was uh our the school that our kids were at never really opened so we ended up uh homeschooling so we have kids at the house now all the time
0: oh great and do you work from home as well
1: i i I have been uh gosh at the end of march we kind of went digital uh but since i I would say the last six weeks i've been going into the office more i can't get stuff done that's the problem like (laughs) the kids are like daddy's home so they want to do stuff with me you know. I can only imagine. Like, I,
0: I don't have kids. I have a dog. But that dog is, like, on my back with the ball all the time working from yeah. home. It's hard.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Damn, that, that's crazy. I, I can only imagine the pandemic with a kid. And I think, congrats or do, you had a, a baby boy at, this, like, the start of this whole thing?
1: We did, yeah. We had one uh, April 20th, so 21st. So pretty yeah. much in the heart of it.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, that must be another challenge to overcome in the middle of all this.
1: Yeah, you know what, though? It it was, but it was actually kind of cool because we had something to look forward to. And like there was it was kind of dark during that moment, you know, yeah. but we were able to focus on uh, a new child coming into our family, which was, I, you know, a good, what would you call it? A good break almost. Uh,
0: yeah, right. Yeah. Something exciting and something to look forward to for sure. Not the yeah. same old routine of being stuck inside like That's a right. lot of people are going through. Yeah, that's awesome. And and I know before that you were uh, like a pure girl dad. Will your girl skateboard? That's a question I've had on the top of my mind.
1: <laughs> uh, You know what? Uh, I don't know. You know, they both have skateboards. They just have not gotten into it yet. And I'm like trying to <laughs> yeah. just not be like pushy on it and just let them like naturally get into it. Uh, yeah. I am failing so far though. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's okay. They'll find their own thing.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. So I definitely I really want to chat about like investing and Commune Capital. But I'd okay. love to like dig into your story first. How did you even first get into skating?
1: Uh man, one of my friends who uh, was kind of known as like the cool kid, uh, <laughs> got a skateboard. And I was just like trying to fit in. So I got one too. Um, and then it just kind of consumed me. It, it was like the first thing in my life that uh, I never didn't want to do it. And then it just never ended. Yeah. So I feel it like you natural. have to be
0: a skater to be the cool kid in Cali. Like that's just what you have to do.
1: Well, what's interesting though, like when I grew up, uh, you know, or I would say when I started skating was like the mid nineties and skating actually like, we thought it was cool being skaters, but skating wasn't known as a cool thing. It was like actually kind of whack. Uh, yeah. So like <laughs> it, it was a different time back then. Like skating didn't become cool until I actually had graduated high school. So, uh, for the majority of my like schooling career, uh, dude, we were picked on, we were made fun of. It, it just, it, it was different than it is now.
0: Oh yeah, I feel you. I was like the only girl skateboarder at my school and just like skating to school. There's definitely the same type of feeling. And like, you know, if you played hockey here, that's like a yeah. cool sport to do, which I saw JT's commenting. So you, JT, you had been the cool kid up here in
1: Canada. JT, um, JT is the man. I actually played hockey before I skated. Oh, no way. Yeah, I actually had gone to Canada like three times. I was on a travel team. Oh, uh skating so cool. was yeah, skating was the thing that killed my hockey career.
0: <laughs> you know what? It was the same for me. Snowboarding killed my hockey career. I had to choose like two winter sports. It's Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, awesome. exactly. Exactly. That's so cool. And did you play any other sports other than hockey and skating?
1: No. It was hockey and then uh I picked up a skateboard, played one more year of hockey as I was skating and then I just didn't care about anything else. So I gave up on it. <laughs> Uh, and then it was just skating for the next two and a half decades.
0: Yeah, that that, was, that sounds exactly like me with the same thing. I try to manage both, but it was it's impossible. Like especially when you get so into it, like that's all you want to do.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: That's awesome. And like, how did you get that transition to all of a sudden like getting sponsors and making it a full time career?
1: Uh, oh, my parents. My, my my mom and dad wanted me to get a job, and uh, I didn't want to work because I didn't want to stop skating. And so I tried to figure out a way to where I could still skate and get my parents off my back. (laughs) And so uh, I had this idea that maybe I could get sponsored. So uh, I convinced one of the kids in my town that had a video camera to make a video of me skating. And then this was the time, like there was no social media. So it was just magazines. So I would go through the magazines and every once in a while, a company that put an ad out would have their address at the bottom So I I got the address, I put it on these like my my VHS tape, put attention team manager and just sent it out. I sent like 40 (laughs) of them out. Uh, I didn't get any callbacks, no one sponsored me. (laughs) And so I convinced the the guy Steve who filmed me to make another video, you know, one that was better. And then I tried it again, I sent another 40 out and then this time I got three companies that uh, decided to call me back and then all of a sudden I was getting free products. So this was before I was paid. Uh, yeah. but I was getting, you know, I got free clothes, free shoes, free skateboards. So like I was good for two years until <laughs> I was, uh, had to graduate and convince my parents that I wasn't going to go to college.
0: Oh yeah. That, that sounds so similar. I, so I used to write all the skateboard companies and just ask for stickers. Yeah. I just wanted yeah. so many stickers and it was like, it was like Christmas at my house every day. I was like running to the mail. So exciting. It's like the yeah. best.
1: Yeah. Uh, yep. Totally. Yeah.
0: That's. Those are the days. Those are the fun days. You hang out at the skate park, and then you go to school, and you go back to the skate park, and you stick yep. up everything.
1: Yep. yep yep so i still there's still stick like uh, throughout our town there's still stickers from like back in the day it was like (laughs) you know maple skateboards like on like the stop sign of my mom's house there's like dvs stickers everywhere so (laughs) they're still tagged up oh yeah
0: my my younger brother he would have friends that would come over for like a sleepover and they would try to sneak into my room to steal my sticker collection yeah and i had so many and he, he still he works at a sports shop and they actually have like of my still like my case of stickers and they give them out to random kids when they come sometimes. So they've lasted a long time.
1: Yeah, I feel it.
0: <laughs> That's so awesome. So when did you actually transition into like making money off this whole thing and, and traveling and all that kind of stuff?
1: Um, so let's see, my senior year uh, is when I started getting photos in the magazine. So my sponsors started kind of promoting me a little bit. Yeah. And then I was supposed to go on this trip to Europe uh, in July. So I graduated my senior year in June Europe to uh, Europe trip in July. And my parents were a little bit freaked out because we expected and I expect I was going to go to college. So, uh, basically they were like, look, if you don't go to college and you're going to skate for a little bit, you at least have to make some money. (laughs) And so I called the three sponsors that, you know, uh, were sponsoring me. And I was like, Hey, uh, look, I want to do this. Like, I think I have a shot here, but, uh, if I can't get paid, I got to go to college. Like my parents gave me an ultimatum. <laughs> and so I convinced two of them to pay me. Uh, one of my sponsors paid me 300 bucks a month. Uh, the other one paid me 500 bucks a month. And I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> so I was like, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah,
0: that's so awesome. I actually, one of my first sponsor negotiations, I brought my mom because I had like my foot in a cast, So she had to drive me to Toronto yeah. and do yeah. the same thing. And she was like watching me try to negotiate for like $500 a month. And I'm like, this is going to be game changer. Yeah. She's like, uh, okay.
1: <laughs> uh, and I will say too, that was like, I, I remember like the first check I got, like it, it wasn't even like, the, it was barely any money, but it was mm-hmm. the coolest thing in the world. I couldn't believe that like somebody was paying me to do the thing that I wanted to do every second of every day. It was like, this is the best, you know? It's, so it was a cool uh, moment.
0: Yeah, that is so awesome. That's so cool. And I think that's what makes action sports kind of different from any other sport because there's no like straight up path. Like, you know, you yeah. go to college and then you you get drafted or whatever it is. And and I mean, now I think that college athletes are going to start being able to get paid. But before that, they couldn't. Yeah. Um, and so now, like with action sports, it's so different. It's like you have to hustle your way in with these companies and get yeah. these sponsor deals.
1: Yeah, it's 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 actually like very entrepreneurial when you think about it. It's like you've got to go out and like make it happen on your own. There's not really a system or coaches or this this thing that gets you in it's it's all based on you
0: that's exactly it do you think that contributed into like becoming an entrepreneur now
1: oh 100 yeah yeah i I, I mean i think that's one thing and then two like skaters like we're so used to doing it all ourselves it's like when you film a video part it's like you think of the tricks you want to do at the spots you want to do them you have an idea of what your video part's going to look and feel etc that is business. That's you coming up with an idea and then taking that idea and creating it into reality. So, uh, it was that. And then also like, you know, I got used to doing things on my time. I didn't have a boss. Nobody told me I had to do something at a certain time. So to go into that life just felt crazy to me.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, that, I hope that resonates with more people in the action sports community. Cause I find there is more entrepreneurs like out of other sports, but actually yeah. in other sports, like you have a coach, you've been given yeah. the guidance and it makes really yeah. great like corporate leaders. But yeah. I find with action sports, because it's so self-directed that yeah. if, if you can get more of those people to transition into entrepreneurship, it's game changer.
1: I 100% agree.
0: Yeah, that's why I love what you're doing mm. and like the message around it. So I'm really excited to, to dig in to more of that. Awesome. Um, I- I know like with action sports, like you're really at the whim of industry and sponsors. How did that all play out with you over your career and then into like transitioning? Uh, What do you mean? Like, like with with the sponsors, you're really at the whim of the industry. If there's a good year of selling Uh, skateboards, like that's uh, how much uh, you're going to get paid. There's not like a set contract. So you really have to be navigating all these other things.
1: Okay. I get what you're saying. So, uh, with, with skating, how it worked for us is we would get a contract and we'd have a base salary or a minimum.
0: Okay. Yeah. It's
1: similar to, I think how like, uh, artists are with, with record deals. So we knew we were making a certain amount. And then on top of that, we would see a royalty through either board sales, shoe sales or, or apparel. Yeah. Uh, and so how I always did it was I just expected that I was going to be making the minimum. And so if like, let's just keep it simple. Let's say my minimum was 50,000 bucks a year. I would go, okay, I'm going to make $50,000 a year, you know, remove the taxes out of that. This is what I'm actually taking home. And this is what I'm going to live off of. And then anything on top of that, that's icing on the cake. And I'm going to put that to work. But I never expected to live off the total because it, it, like you said, it varied. I never really Mm -hmm. knew how much I was going to make each year.
0: Yeah, I think that's a different mindset than a lot of athletes take in general. And it's cool yeah. to see, like, some athletes now are prioritizing that. How do you manage that with, like, the ego of being an athlete? Like, you want to have the clout, and especially nowadays with social media, like, if people want to buy the cool car and skateboard in front of it and put it in the background of their photos and their videos, how did you manage that?
1: Um, oh. I had a mentor, actually, that uh, that was that basically taught me – everything i needed to know to actually get ahead and really it was i remember him telling me like look you're gonna go into these these rooms right you're gonna be around people and you're gonna be tempted to want to compete with them right especially being an athlete like we naturally compete and you know our society tells us that if you make more money you're doing better than the other person right? right he was like you need to remove that you need to completely remove that basically there's a difference between looking rich and being wealthy. And I want to create a system in you where you can achieve wealth. right? Yeah. So, so he started with basically pitching the dream to me. This is where you're going to go. Then he moved to, so you're going to live like you're broke. I was like, right. wait, what? You know? And he was like, <laughs> look, if you can live off way less than you make, then you're actually putting money to work. And I'm telling you, in the future, you're, it's going it's, it's to be worth all its weight in gold. I'm, just trust me on the process. But you're going to have to check your ego, right? Yeah. You're going to have to be comfortable with like people thinking that you're not really doing that well. Fine, let them think that. I want you in reality, not on uh, people's uh, perception of you. So uh, it, it was just really him telling me these things. And what ended up happening, which was funny, is I got used to going places where I was like, I felt like I was actually the the most well off. But but if you just looked at the group around me, I looked like the poorest. So it's like right. you just have to change how you're how you're attacking it, you know? But it <laughs> wasn't easy. It, it it was the hardest part is when my friends started buying cars.
0: Oh, like that yeah. was the
1: big moment for me where like you had skaters that were buying like Jaguars and BMWs and like cars that you wouldn't expect a skater to, to drive in, you know? And I'm sitting here driving a two thousand dollar you know 91 civic hatchback with no ac and no power steering and no anything and looking around going yeah i'm, I'm the oddball out you know but uh <laughs> it, it paid off for me down the road because i got used to living off a certain amount and so when i started making more money i was already created the discipline to live off what i had already done you know it's mm-hmm. like the idea of being responsible with little before you're responsible with a lot because i yeah. got used to living off nothing when i was making nothing uh maintaining that discipline got easier as i started making more money
0: that that yeah that really resonates and hits home and i think it's so important for athletes nowadays especially like you were mentioning there wasn't necessarily social media back then but now there is that and there's I mean I, we see it not just with athletes but with anyone they're comparing themselves on social media and and dealing with that and and one thing that I really like about you is how honest you've been about the transition like between going from an athlete to entrepreneur because that that's something personally I really struggled with and, and yeah. I really resonated with your story could you dive a little bit deeper into like that transition and how you handled that
1: uh, yeah it was hard <laughs> it was <laughs> really really hard. really hard um basically Uh, God, where do I start with this one? So I I didn't think my career was going to end. That was the biggest shock for me is like, I had this idea that my career was going to end a certain way and Mm -hmm. I was going to be able to step away on my, you know, timeline. And it it just didn't happen. I had surgery. I was sitting on the couch. I couldn't walk. My sponsor basically called me and ended it. And all of a sudden, I'm just like, wait, wait, what? I'm 34. Like, I'm selling a ton of product. I thought I could go to, I'm 37. It's not supposed to end this way. So there was this kind of like shock moment. Uh, and then I ultimately had to come to terms with it actually being over, which was brutal. Uh, and then I had to like go through all these challenges that us as athletes have of finding my identity. My my identity was I was a pro skateboarder, Yeah, you know, and it's like, now I'm not, well, what the heck am I supposed to do? And it was almost like I had learned all these tools to be successful in skateboarding and to move into the next thing. It's almost like I didn't even know what game I was playing anymore. I didn't know where up was. uh, And so I had to go through a, almost like a healing process as weird as that sounds. It was like, I had to like uh, really start being comfortable with who I was. And uh, it brought out a lot of challenges and insecurities I had that I wasn't aware of. Um, And then once I like became whole again, I was actually able to step out uh, and in my view, then make strides towards being uh, successful in every aspect of my life instead of just the career element.
0: Right. No, I, I really appreciate you sharing that and, and all that you do about sharing that on social media, because I think it's it's rough, especially with someone who has such a large platform as you and you've seen how people react um, to changing it up.
1: So that's another one. That That's another one too, is like, when when your career ends, like, I remember this moment, I, I like thought to myself, like, I really wish I didn't have social media. Like, mm. why can't I just go do this in the dark and have yeah. no one know what's going on? But like, you have these platforms and you have people that are watching you, which makes it harder, truthfully. It's like, the, the you're always being pushed towards comfort, right? Skateboarding yeah. to me is comfort. I know skateboarding. I know the skateboard industry. I know everything about it, Right. And so when you're, when that goes away and you have to find the new thing, it's so easy to be drawn back towards what you used to do. And then you add, you know, and I get it, but you add people that watch you or follow you and they're like, dude, go back to skating. Mm
0: -hmm. We don't
1: want to see this. And then it's like, oh, they're pulling at me. Should I be doing this? And it just, it sometimes makes the mental battle that we go through to get on the other side, just a little bit more difficult. Um, I got to the point where I was just like, I had to accept it. I was like, you know what? There's going to be people that don't like this. There's going to be people that don't like me now. Uh, Shit, man. It's that or die. And I didn't want to die. So I was like, I'm just going to keep pushing forward. And like, who's with me is with me. Who's not? Uh, They were there for a season. And and it's just not there's not that anymore you know
0: yeah no that that's so interesting that's so true and i think that's something yeah social media definitely compounds that because you see that these people are following you and then they start unfollowing and you're like like am i doing something different but then you realize that that it's part of that identity piece i think because you identify as a skater and all of a sudden you're posting something different and you're like realizing people were stuck to that identity but that's that's not like your core self is so much multi multifaceted. More, you have more to you than just that.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it 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 for whatever reason. I know it doesn't mean anything, but like when you see people unfollow, you, you're like, "Am I doing the right thing?" <laughs> and then you see thousands, and you're like, "Holy shit, is this right?" And then it's like ten thousand, and then twenty thousand. You're like, "Oh gosh, maybe this isn't the right decision." But uh, it just all of that weighs into uh, this moment, you know. But it's it's hard. It, it was definitely hard.
0: Yeah yeah that makes sense and like what I, I mean I, I like that you opened up about that especially as someone you're an, one of the athletes that I've talked to that actually really kind of had a game plan like you you thought about finance and all those things before your career ended and it still was a challenge and that's something that when I talk to a lot of athletes they tell they say you need to have that game plan if I only had that game plan yeah. but it's that emotional and like Even, I mean, I hate to use the word spiritual, but spiritual, like all that is something you can't necessarily plan for. It just happens. Like anyone who retires from something they've done for like
1: decades. So that's something that actually caught me like really off guard was I always had a financial plan. Like that was something I was blessed with is I had a mentor that helped me prepare financially from the point of me being 19 until my career ended at 34. And I had this idea that like, if I get my money right, and I'm no longer dependent on my sponsors, kind of like what you brought up, then I'm good. No one can hurt me. My sponsors go away. Who gives a shit? I'm good, you know? And when the sponsors went away, I was blindsided by how not good I really was, you know, because I didn't think there was a whole emotional element to it. And basically what I learned and now what I'm thankful for is because I had built the runway up, that when my career ended, I was actually able to work through the closure part of like, this moment in time is no longer here and the things that I loved about it are gone. And then once you work through that, it's like, you know, then I was able actually able to step out. But I think if you don't have the preparation set up, you go straight into survival mode. It's like Mm. your career ends. And all of a sudden you're like, Holy shit, I need to eat. I need a place to live. And it's just, you don't even have the luxury of working through some of the kind of crap. Uh, and so I'm real thankful for that, for sure. But that was because of a mentor. I, I I had somebody that helped me and really, really helped.
0: That, yeah, that is key, I think, because like you said, then you were able to explore these other places in your life that perhaps you were neglecting or needed to work on or just yeah. self-discovery. But if yeah. you didn't have that financial piece, it would have been straight, yeah, survival yeah. mode. How do I get my money back? How do I do this? Like, what am I going to do for the next three months?
1: Yeah, look, and, and the reality is it's like what athletes go through is what most people go through in their 60s or 65s, right? Mm -hmm. We have this like retirement 1.0 that's going into retirement 2.0. And there's a lot of like stuff that you just don't usually go through in your thirties, like trying to figure out like your identity and your purpose and your career. And uh, a lot of times I think we're not prepared at this age to even have the tools to go through something like that. So it was like, it was hard, and I also didn't have a lot of guidance through it. It's like I didn't have yeah. a lot of friends that have that had transferred on to the next thing. So uh, I think there's a lot of like there's a lot of people that won't have to go through this, thank God. <laughs> but for those that do, uh, yeah, it's just it's, they don't prepare you for this part.
0: <laughs> no, and I, I mean. I, I know it's really difficult also for like college athletes, but I, like like mm-hmm. you and like I, we didn't have that that same experience. And a lot of college athletes, they know mm-hmm. it's gonna end and they have a whole team of people to go through it with. But when it comes to action sports, it's just you and a lot of your other teammates or friends or, you know, sponsor teammates, they're still riding. And so then what do you do? Do you still like go and hang out with them? Like it's it's such a hard space.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right, totally agree.
0: So, like transitioning more into into what you're doing now, how did you actually get connected? Like, I I've seen Commune Capital and like or like on your website, you have such an eclectic group of of teammates, uh, like people on the team. How did you yeah. even get connected with them? And like, when did that actually happen and get started?
1: Okay, so uh, one of my partners is uh, my mentor from when I was 19, and so, oh, gosh, okay, here's basically here's the story, right? <laughs> I tell my parents I'm not going to college. They panic. They tell me that I need to get companies to pay me, but they also want me to, to speak to their friend, Randy, who managed my parents' money. Okay. Uh, and just so everyone knows, my, my dad's a photographer. My mom was an artist, not super wealthy. Uh, we grew up middle class, right? But they had somebody that like, helped just have their finances in order. He comes into my life, starts teaching me about finance, starts helping me build the foundation so that I can ultimately succeed once my career is over. Uh, uh, towards the, I would say, third quarter of my career, my late 20s, is when we had the idea to start St. Archer, which was a craft brewery. And okay. me and my two partners, one was Paul Rodriguez, who was another pro skater. Uh, the other was Josh Landon, who was a surf filmmaker. We had no business experience. <laughs> None of us did. We just had an idea. And so we, we started doing our due diligence to figure out what it would cost to start this thing. It was like millions of dollars, which we didn't have. <laughs> And so uh, I called Randy, who was my mentor. I was like, hey, dude, we have this idea. Can you help us figure out how the heck we could like do this? And so we pitched him on the idea and it was him who was like, you have to do a business plan, which we had no idea what that meant. (laughs) Helped us create the business plan. We had to raise money. So he taught us, you know, how to go out and find investors, pitch them your investment, have money come in. And then we started our company and then our company did really well. And so when my career ended uh, and I'm working through all this emotional crap that we were talking about. Right. (laughs) What the heck am I supposed to do? Who am I? Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I had this moment where like uh, it was like this realization moment, kind of similar to what we were talking about earlier, that I was in a situation where I had the luxury to kind of find myself again and figure out what my next path was. And if I wasn't in this position, it, it would have been a totally different outcome. And so I started feeling two things. One, fortunate, but also uh, isolated because I knew that a lot of my friends didn't have that, that window. And so I had this idea that maybe I could do for my friends what Randy did for me, which was taught me about money, taught me how money worked, and then also offered opportunity for me to invest in things with him that would help me put myself in a good position because I was now bringing in interest or money off the money I had invested. And so I came up with this idea to start a company that was kind of uh, tackled both of those components. One, educated uh, my friends. Two, had an opportunity that they could participate with me. The opportunity, I wanted it to be in real estate because uh, my total portfolio and uh, the majority of it that I was putting to work was in real estate. It was in storage units and lending at the time. And so uh, I think those are just two great asset classes for athletes uh, or somebody trying to achieve financial freedom uh, because it accomplishes two things. One, you have cash flow that comes in, which is means to an end because that could eventually cover our expenses. And two, there's appreciation so you can get like a bump, right? And so I'm building out this business plan of what I want to do. So I have my, basically my deck, the mission, the assets I want to invest in, the whole nine. Uh, what I didn't know is how real estate funds work. I wanted it to be a fund structure. Uh, I knew nothing about private equity at that point or or how real estate investing worked on that type of scale. And so I called Randy. I was like, hey, dude, I need another meeting with you. This time, you know, I'm way more equipped, but what I don't know is how fund management works. Can you basically educate me like you did with St. Archer and tell me everything I need to know to get this business to light and then succeed at it? Who do I need to hire to bring onto my team? And so he's looking through the deck. He's asking me questions and he basically goes, dude, I've known you for 20 years. Uh, We helped you with St. Archer. We saw what you did there. Uh, Why don't we just do this one together? Instead of me telling you who to go hire, we already run real estate funds. We have two of your investors in both of them. Uh, Why don't we start this together? And so we ended up starting it three years ago. uh, And, Kind of what happened which was so cool is my whole focus was skateboarding at that time how could i better my community of pro skateboarders to help position them to be successful after skateboarding and so i started talking about it i started putting up on my social media and what happened was a lot more people beyond skateboarders started resonating we started getting football players golfers athletes and then like more conventional careers entrepreneurs lawyers doctors people in sales and then the thing just started growing pretty fast and so uh, we got to a point with the company where uh, we recognized we had something special in both uh, the mission that we were going out to achieve and also on our team so our team is made up of basically everybody uh, in the financial world it's like all of my partners either are or have been uh, CFAs or CPAs or CFPs right Uh, and then I come from skateboarding and entrepreneur and business, uh, and then the creative team we have comes from skateboarding, so it 's like these two worlds aren't supposed to come together you're not supposed <laughs> to I have yeah so it's it's basically given us a, a strategic advantage, and then what we ended up doing, which we just completed, and we're actually announcing it uh, today to our investors. so <laughs> if there are any of my investors watching this, this is a sneak peek, but uh, we actually ended up merging the companies. So okay. the two funds that I was investing in during my skateboard career uh, was their business that they started on the private equity side, and then our company we started uh, the fund was in multifamily apartments. Uh, we brought the companies together, so now Commune has three portfolios under it. Uh, our That's company awesome. has expanded, and we're yeah we're we're getting into a pretty cool moment. So yeah, it's been cool.
0: that's awesome to answer your question
1: very (laughs) simply because that was so long-winded uh i truly believe that this was a god thing i i I think that the fact that i met him when i was 19 had the experience i did my skate career because of him to create a company now for all of these things to align uh i i I couldn't have done this on my own uh so i think that there's, there's something else at play here um which would have been a very short answer to your first question.
0: (laughs) No, I like the long answer. I'm all about the long answer, but that's really cool how you guys connected. And then, you know, full circle moment, he was working with your parents and now you're working together. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really awesome. Do your parents, are they into like investing in in real estate as well?
1: Yeah. So my parents, uh, my parents were investors in uh, the two previous funds, the storage fund and the lending fund. Uh, My parents were investors in St. Archer, uh, not because I think they thought it was a great investment. I I think they just wanted to support (laughs) their son. Uh, It ended up being a phenomenal investment for them. Uh, And so when I started this company, you know what my dad says, he goes, Hey man, this is your money anyway. Like, I'm gonna pass away, this money's gonna go to you guys, so if you wanna put your money into investments, <laughs> I'll have at it. So, that's how he looks at it now.
0: I like that, I like that a lot. I I used to make PowerPoint pitch decks and pitch my parents on so many different ideas. Yeah. Like, come yeah. on, do this, do this. I think that's, my parents are definitely, like, we were middle class as well. You know, snowboarding is a very expensive sport to get into, mm-hmm. so I had to figure out how to, like, afford it on my own. But if I have a business idea, I know, like, the first people I go to pitch and I want to get them in because that's the only way I have any chance of getting any money out of them is it, if I have a good business idea. It,
1: it, that's actually a really good point that, that you should probably, uh, we should add on to. Uh, anyone who wants to start a business, you, you've got to basically run this by your parents or your friends that you trust to give you honest opinions Two, when, when or if you're in a point where you need money, your friends and families are going to be the, the first people that you pitch it to because like I said with my dad, Uh, and mom they wanted to support me right they wanted to see their son succeed so it was more about that than the actual investment and for your first investment you kind of need some of that because you don't have the experience so friends and family uh, is the is the starting point here
0: right and it can pay off a lot like i had this conversation with a close family recently and he was talking about why he doesn't believe in just like waiting until he's like on his deathbed to give his kids you know, invest into something that they want to do, whether it's their schooling or a business they want to start or a new course they need, you know, to get a certification for something they want to do. And when I think about it, I'm like, that's so true. Invest when they have the potential to take that investment and multiply it and multiply it for both parties versus you wait when it's too late. You're getting that money when you're already about to retire. It's like, it's not, it's not building wealth over generations.
1: That's right. That's right. That's exactly right.
0: Yeah, hi. Yeah, it's interesting. You definitely got to go to the friends and family. I think that's, you know, people who are lucky to be in a situation where they can ask their friends and family for, for help or not, not help, but like a good investment where they both benefit. It's it's Uh, definitely the key.
1: A hundred percent. And I think also too, uh, if you come from a family that doesn't have access money, because that is a great point. Remember that uh, one, people that have money are always looking for opportunity right? They usually got to a point where they're not the ones going out and creating it anymore. They're just looking to place dollars. Mm -hmm. So most people that have money want to hear ideas. They want to hear about it. So don't be discouraged if, uh, you know, you're a first time maybe entrepreneur building something and you're going, oh my gosh, I'm going to talk to this rich person. They're going to like think I'm a fraud. That's not the case. A lot of times people will see themselves in you and know that like when they started, they didn't have all the answers either. Right, Mm. And so what they want to see is that you have an idea, you're obsessed by it, you're willing and you want to bring it to life. And I think that will actually have a bigger impact to get people on board than uh, sometimes having like the most built out plan to present.
0: Yeah. Passion. Passion sells, I think, more than anything. And that's what's key. Like even if anyone here watches Shark Tank, for example, you notice that like people come (laughs) up with a big idea and they might have all the money behind it already but the sharks don't buy into the idea unless they see that you like live and breathe that business. Yeah. There's a story behind why you created it and you're really passionate about it.
1: Yep, that's right. You're not betting on the, what do they say? You're not betting on the horse, you're betting on the jockey.
0: Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly yeah. it, yeah. And cause you can transition to other things. Like, I mean, in, in my life, I've had so many businesses since I was like 10, but I think it's key of just knowing like, you gotta find that idea you're passionate about and people will buy into like, okay, you know, I know that you're going to, if this doesn't pan out, you're going to transition to something else because you have the passion for that general concept of making something happen.
1: Yeah, I agree. Totally agree.
0: So why, why real estate? Like, I know that's, you got into it because of, of your mentor in the first place, but why do you think real estate is like the top investment?
1: <sighs> Such a good question. So I'm going to start by saying, uh, I am hundred percent a believer in diversification. I don't think you should be all in on one thing. Uh, so I think real estate is a component of your total portfolio. It happens to be my largest component. Uh, that doesn't mean it needs to be for everybody else, but this is why I like it. And this is why ultimately I wanted this, uh, asset class to be behind, uh, the partnership that people could have, especially athletes because athletes actually, it's not even just athletes, it's people. Uh, we have this tendency to, uh, get a little bit greedy, right? Mm -hmm. When you start thinking about opportunity and like how much money you could make. Uh, we have a tendency of going after it and we forget that that means that there's greater risk involved as well. And to me, uh, for an athlete, I don't want you to put all your money at risk so that when your career ends, you have nothing to fall off on. So I'm I'm really mindful that you're picking an investment that in my eyes doesn't capture great risk, but also has a a good return. And for skaters, actually it's not for skaters, for all athletes, these these are the two things that we struggle with. One, we don't know what we're going to do after our career ends. So cash flow is really important for us, right? Yeah. So if we don't know how to make money and we're invested in things that give us cash flow, hopefully we can get to a point where that is either paying for our total expense or it's taking out a chunk so we don't have to capture as much to live off the same amount, right? But a lot of times if you're just going after an investment that cash flows, the return is a little bit smaller. So I like real estate that you can capture both sides. You can get cash flow, which gets you to financial freedom. You get appreciation, which drives up your return and your, your multiple. And so those two components mix with the, the risk element, uh, I think it's the greatest investment to achieve financial freedom with all of those components into uh, the picture.
0: Mm, it makes sense. And I think being an athlete in, in itself is inherently risky. Like you can have a career ending injury, especially as an action sport athlete. And so having that balance makes a lot of sense because for example, if you were a lawyer, that's almost like a job that you're like, I can bank on it. I know every year I'm going to make exactly this. Maybe with yeah. my investments, I can be a little bit riskier. Um, but I think it, it makes sense to have that like balance aspect. there.
1: So you made such a good point. So skaters are very comfortable with risk, right? <laughs> yeah, we, we do it every day when it comes to investing. There's two components though. There's risk tolerance and there's capacity and you need to make sure they're aligned because you could have, you could be, you can be a person that's comfortable taking risks, but if you don't have the capacity to afford losing all of it, Mm -hmm. that's not the right decision. And then there's others that have a ton of capacity, right? They might be sitting on a ton of cash, but their risk tolerance is very low. That's also not working at the ideal situation. So it's all about finding that balance. Uh, But yes, with skaters, like we want to like, We want to swing for the stars. It's like, we want to go for it. And also we want to talk about what we're doing. And a lot of times it's the investments that aren't exciting to tell others about, about are actually the best investments to achieve financial freedom. So you have to like, you just have to understand. It's like, what are you trying to accomplish? It's like what we talked about in the beginning. Are you trying to appear rich? Are you trying to appear like you're crushing it? Or do you actually want to be crushing it? And if the answer is, I actually want to be crushing it, then all of the moves you make should be to achieve that. And so uh, I think real estate is just a great component. And then there's others like not to just say you can't be risky because what we did with St. Archer was risky, right? That was a startup business that probably had more of a percentage of failure than it did succeeding, right? Now, you can do those. It just now goes back to capacity. Make sure that you're putting money at risk that you can afford to lose. So if you're looking at your total portfolio, let's say as a hundred percent, you're not going to put 50% of your portfolio to something that's probably not going to make it right. You might put 2%, maybe 5%, right? But uh, you just have to understand that you're taking on risk. uh, Make sure you can afford to lose it if that happens. And then if it doesn't, then you hit big. It's like, boom, and then you stick to the same plan, you know?
0: Uh, yeah, that makes so much sense. Real estate investing is definitely something I'm, I've been trying to look a little bit more into. and um, It seems especially, do you find with 2020, like, that it's definitely, like, that investment? Like, we've seen so much market fluctuation in 2020. Like, the market makes no sense with the uncertainty of the presidential Um, Election, you saw the market increasing, and it was like, wouldn't you think that there's all this uncertainty that it would be dropping? And that was that was what I was thinking. And so, what what have you seen with real estate when it compares to these other investments this year specifically? Uh,
1: Okay, Uh, so real estate as a whole has different asset classes within it, right? And some we're seeing uh, already. we're seeing a correction happen in them. Others were not. And then there are some that are location specific, right? So right. I think the obvious would be retail is getting smacked in the face.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, office may office space is getting punched. Uh, industrial seems to be doing pretty good. Multifamily is doing surprisingly well. Um, and so it depends on what you're looking for. What I personally think, uh, well, let's take a step back there's gonna be different moments in time where you see different opportunity. I think when COVID happened, uh, the majority of us saw what was gonna happen on the short term, Mm -hmm. right? It was like uh, a lot of debt, a lot of lending became challenged. A lot of the people that lend were sitting on the sidelines, so it made it harder to get money. Uh, There was a lot of government involvement uh, in real estate. There's the stimulus, et cetera. So uh, I think there's, there's something that's happening on the short term. Uh, how we are with real estate, we look at things more long-term. Sorry, now we're talking about (laughs) (laughs) the kids. Hey, cuties, I'm just doing an interview. Can you guys come (laughs) out in about 20 minutes? Um, So uh, let's see, where was I? Uh, This is why I'm so bad at working at home. Uh, Um, Short-term,
0: at the start of the pandemic.
1: So so because we look at things long-term, we're making investments based on what is going to be here in 10 years. And so, you know, Something like apartments, apartment buildings. Uh, We feel comfortable with apartments ten years from now. Uh, Storage units, we feel totally good with storage in the next ten years. Uh, Retail, Uh, we feel okay with retail long term, but not in not how retail looks now. I think Mm, there's going to be a lot of repositioning of retail. I think like you know something obvious, the malls. Malls are not going to make it. So, COVID is definitely speeding up the the process in a sense of like it was already inevitably going to happen. Now it's just happening on a quicker timeline. Yeah. Uh, but there's opportunity. That's for sure. I I, I'm, I'm convinced that the next 10 years as far as wealth building, uh, is involved is going to be massive.
0: Right. And, and in my perspective, like there's only so much real estate on, on this earth, but when it comes to like businesses and the economy, there's different things that are always being created Um, but real estate, like there's only so much. So it it seems like a smart investment, no matter what, even if there are those corrections over the long, long term, like you, you think about what our parents or our grandparents bought a house for. It's insane. The difference to now.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, some of it doesn't make sense to me. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you it does. Like, uh, I wouldn't have seen the market, uh, do what it did over the last few months it's crazy.
0: Um, it doesn't make sense to me either.
1: <laughs> no, I thought apartments were going to have a, more of a correction than they did, um, but uh, I do believe it's more short term. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's been an interesting year. What would be like your number one real estate investing tip? Doesn't have to be like this year specific, but just in general for anyone, athletes or not. <sighs>
1: um, number one real estate tip, I would say, when it comes to investing let's say, I guess say investing as a whole, uh, you can either educate yourself or you can hire the education. Those are the two mm-hmm. options we have, right? So I think if you're in a position where you can hire the help, hire it and, and, and make an active plan to put yourself in a, in a good position financially for your future. If you can't hire the education, start educating yourself now. Like there is so much information available that once you learn, then it just becomes applying action. So right. uh, I would say if you're not invested in real estate yet, start learning about it, start educating yourself and make a goal to get in at some point. Uh, and if you think that you can never have it, uh, you got to start fixing that, that, that up here. Uh, yeah. You really got to get out of there
0: yeah no I, I think that's so true and i actually that's something that i did want to ask you about is how do you overcome or what would you say to someone who has those self-limiting beliefs because perhaps they haven't seen it where they are like they haven't seen someone be a pro skater they haven't seen someone build a capital company you're, you're escaping the kids <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm, I'm oh yeah i'm moving so that the kids don't uh, jam me <laughs> up there we go um how do you move through the self self-limiting belief
0: yeah, like when you haven't been surrounded by people doing something that you want to do. When you have such like, something that's different and people might be telling you, you can't do this or this is impossible or you just haven't seen it be possible.
1: Oh, that's such a good... Okay, so... Okay, well, how can we start with this one? It's um, <laughs> a big question. If anything I'm going to say today uh, is important, this might be the most important thing and I think it probably is the most truthful whatever you think is possible is true. And wherever that bar lands is as high as you get to go. It all comes down to where you believe that the bar can be set. And so if you are somebody who just seems to set the bar a little bit lower than others, uh, start challenging yourself, start looking at other people that you can surround yourself who are doing it at a higher level than you. I think one thing that we do see is that when, when the person next to you is doing it, it gives you confidence that, that it could be done. So that, that's a big thing for all athletes in skateboarding. It was like, you know, P-Rod was trying to do a tre flip crooked grind. All of a sudden he started doing it. Now everybody can do it. Tony mm-hmm. Hawk does the 900. Then you have like 12 year olds doing 1080s. So <laughs> you, you will believe that things are possible based on when people next to you are doing them. So just be mindful that you're surrounding yourself with people doing things at a higher level than you. If you are the person who's the smartest in the room or the most successful, uh, you're doing it wrong. You should always strive to be the dumbest in the room because now you're surrounded by people that uh, are driving you to become better. Uh, So audit, uh, dude, audit yourself, audit your friends. Uh, And I I guess like, uh, use me for an example. It's like, if I could do it, you can do it. I'm a skateboarder. I graduated 12th grade. There's nothing crazy about me. and if I'm able to do it, you can too. So that should be enough. Like, yeah, this guy, he can do it. I can do it too.
0: That's awesome. I love that. That's such a great answer. And I think that's so true. Like strive to, to surround yourself by people who are doing it at a higher capacity. It's the only way you can grow and learn. And, and you've got to push your growth and your comfort zone a little bit to get into the position to be around those types of people.
1: Yeah, it's 100% right. So
0: I, I promised someone that I would ask you this. What do you think about other investments such as like Bitcoin?
1: oh okay um this is it's actually a really common question um i think take bitcoin out of it let's say we're just talking about cryptocurrencies um i believe cryptocurrencies are the future i think it's only a matter of time until everything is traded digitally uh which coin that is Mm -hmm. i don't know um i personally just everybody I'm, i'm transparent with everyone i do not invest in any cryptos Uh, that's not saying it's a good investment. Uh, I just don't, I don't think it's at a point to where I can invest versus speculate.
0: Um,
1: but, and, and, and and this is going to kind of be my, my, why I believe this ultimately. (laughs) Um, if anybody believes in God's familiar with the Bible, the Bible has the beginning and the end, right? Genesis and revelation in the beginning of the bible it talks about things that are going to happen it's called prophecy right and there's things since the bible was that was written, since the bible was written there's things that have happened now things that are happening now and then things to come and the big okay. thing in revelation which is the end they talk about one world currency one world government one world religion and they talk about a mark that's either on your forehead or your right hand and <laughs> without that mark you're not able to trade right so if you think this is crazy, that's fine. If you believe in God and you actually think it's truth, this is actually pretty cool to see where currency is going. If you have to have a mark to trade, that would tell you that it has to be some form of digital currency. And we know that the technology already exists for some type of tattoo or chip that tracks all your, whether it's yeah, I saw vaccines to do that. or currency, et cetera, right? So uh, that's why I uh, am kind of waiting for it to be digital is just because i i believe in god uh <laughs> if you don't very fascinating though right it's like they called all this stuff it thousands of years ago it's all happening yeah
0: oh uh, interesting yeah i i you know what i you hear bitcoin thrown around and cryptocurrency thrown around a ton in the investment space online people with the accounts who are trying to like sell you on it and whatever but it's something that i'm just like it. I'm someone who wants to invest in things I know, and like, I haven't done the education on that, and it's not necessarily something that I'm like ready to do the education on. And so mm-hmm. for me, that's like I, I'm just not there yet. But I've seen a lot of people who are just like, you know, they're there and they do the research every day.
1: Yeah, I, I if uh, it, it, I, and I will say also, I am not the expert in crypto. <laughs> I am <laughs> not he- heavily educated on it. It is not my wheelhouse. Uh, so I'm sure people. Uh, based on their knowledge, have a greater confidence in why they're investing in it the way they do. Uh, but for where I'm at in my knowledge, uh, I would be making investments based on like what people are telling me. <gasps> Bitcoin's the new craze. And it's th- that is not how I want to invest. So I don't.
0: Right. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I think this year, people are being really pulled into that with the highs and lows of the market and everything that's like, hey, do this, hey, do this. And nothing is rational right now. Yeah.
1: That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs>
0: So uh, when I watched your, your Commune Capital video, which by the way, it's so awesome that you guys have a content creator who's, like you said, from the skateboard world, who's mixing these like two worlds yeah. together. I think that's, that's really unique and cool. But I saw, I really liked the story of where you asked your parents uh, to give you $100 a month. Could you explain that a little bit?
1: Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> uh, it was a gift and a curse. Basically, <laughs> I was in uh, was the eighth grade, so seventh, eighth, seventh or eighth grade. And one of my friends told me, he's like, dude, I got my parents to give me a hundred bucks a month as like an allowance. And like, it's the sickest thing ever. Right. I'm like, well, what does that mean? He's like, well, I have to pay for everything. I'm like, what do you mean? Everything He's like food, clothes the whole night, but I get a hundred bucks a month. So I was like, dang, I'm going to ask my parents. And so I remember like going up to my dad and pitching him, dad. So I have this idea. What if you give me a hundred bucks a month and I'll cover everything. I'll pay for food, clothes, skateboards. I'm good and he goes everything? And I was like yeah, everything. And he goes, "Yeah, deal." And right when he said it, I was like, "Why did he I why was he no. so quick to say yes, you know?" And so I started getting 100 bucks a month and, you know, the first month I got it, after the first week it was gone. And I was like, "Wait, what the heck just happened? What am I supposed to do for 3 weeks?" So I had to figure out a way to survive for the next 3 weeks and basically what it did was it taught me money management. I need to plan for the whole month. I get this much up front and how do I make it last? Uh, it ended up being a blessing in in that way. Uh, but it backfired me on the other.
0: <laughs> I could only imagine, like a hundred. Yeah, I, mean, <clears throat> I think when you're a kid, you think a hundred dollars is so much.
1: Totally. And then
0: you realize that, like, like looking back now and thinking about when my parents said, "No, we can't buy this. No, we can't afford this." And I think mm-hmm. about it. I'm like, yeah, that's. It makes so much more sense. I so sorry that I complained about that. That's back right.
1: Then. That's right. Totally.
0: So that that actually it reminds me of a quote. I I might butcher it, but it was like, "Don't strive to give your kids the things that you never had." but to give them the knowledge that you never had? Like going back now, how would you raise your kids with the financial knowledge that you you have now?
1: Oh, that's such a good question. Um, so my, my oldest is eight. My middle is five and a half. She's about to be six. And so we started doing these things with them probably over the last year, year and a half, where <clears throat> we're focusing on teaching them how to be earners. That's the first thing. Okay. So one thing that you know, on the story where I convinced my dad to give me a hundred bucks. Uh, it was great for money management, but he was just giving me money. That's something I actually wish he would have uh, encouraged me to work for that money. So what we do with our kids is anytime they want something, we say, okay, we have to put a task in front of it. I, I, I have this these rocks over here. You have to take these rocks over here and put them over there. <laughs> the, the task can be irrelevant, but basically what we're trying to do is instill – this idea that for them to make money, they need to go do something, right? Right. And then from that point on, once they understand that concept, then we can start implementing some of the other strategies, like putting purpose behind what you're doing. Uh, We'll probably set up some type of like mimic uh, IRA account. Uh, Won't be a real IRA account. Maybe it'll just be a piggy bank. But I think we'll do something like, hey, girls, if you put a dollar, $2 of your uh, whatever, your money in this every month, we will match that. But the second you take it out, there's a penalty, right? So I'm like uh, trying to teach yeah. them delayed gratification through that. Uh, but I think the biggest thing, the most important thing is teaching them that they believe it's possible first, right? So we, we're, we're really big on how we communicate to one another. So my kids love saying, I can't do it. I can't do mm. this. They get frustrated. I can't do this. So like, I'm on them. The second they say that it's no, no, you can't do it yet. You have to yes. add the yet, right? For like a lot of families, and you kind of mm-hmm. brought this up. We say, "I can't afford it." Sorry, guys, we can't afford that. Uh, I don't. I don't want them to ever hear us say that, and I don't want them to say that. I want them to start talking and say, "How can we afford this?" Right? I, I want there to always be a path towards where you want to go, and so uh, that's that's I think the foundation. Believe it's possible then start putting the the layers on top of the foundation after that.
0: Mm, yeah, I really like that. And I think it, it's mindset first, like that strategy, that mindset, the way you look at money yeah. in the first place, I think that's like the basis.
1: Yeah. And you just have to be like a, aware of how old, they, like, dude, you know, my daughter <laughs> can only understand so much. Right. But like yeah. there will be a point where, you know, I, I I want to instill that they have to do something to make money, but then there's going to be a point where I I have to teach them that just work, more work doesn't mean more money. Right. Mm -hmm. So there will be that point where she can comprehend it, where we start looking at how you add more value, not more necessarily time or energy to make more. So just recognize the steps in which you have to to implement.
0: Right. That makes sense. Well, awesome. Okay. So I have like some three quick fire questions just to end things on. One is what is like a habit or routine that you do daily that's like game changer?
1: Uh, so my morning routine for me is, is the game changer one. Uh, I know these are supposed to be quick, but I'm just going to say it. Oh, that's totally uh, fine. <laughs> when I was skating, I had no routine. I would wake up when mm-hmm. I woke up, I would go skate when we were going to go skate. When I stopped <laughs> that's skating, <laughs> that's the life of a skater. Right. Uh, then when we had kids, uh, and then my career ended, I found that like, I would leave the house every day in a different mood. One day I'd be like, oh, I'm ready to kill it. The other day I'm like just in a frenzy and like all over the place. One day I'm just like pissed off, right? So I read a book talking about the importance of a morning routine so that you can get to the point of leaving the house ready to succeed every single day, right? You're building consistency. And so I started doing a morning routine. Uh, and then it started moving into some tweaks in that. But basically I wake up an hour, an hour before the kids wake up, hour and a half before the kids, uh, I go, you know, drink my water, drink my coffee. Uh, and then I do a devotional. I spend about 30 to 45 minutes reading the Bible and then a devotional breaking down what I read. Uh, and then from that point, I'll read a book usually, uh, and then start going through emails and then the new guy will wake up. I'll take Elliot. Uh, change him feed him, so there 's a little bit of him involved in my morning routine, and then I make breakfast for the kids, and then I go off and do my day so uh it 's just helped me to like set up how i 'm going to do it uh you don 't have to read the bible that 's something that that I do, but I think you know having something in the morning where you 're appreciative you 're basically writing down something that you 're thankful for uh puts you in the mindset of of just being joyful and happy, and I think that 's a a good mindset to to go out and win and then two if you're like a goals oriented person write down your goals for the day I think like in the morning saying this is what I'm going out to do looking at them writing them down and then going to do them uh, just creates better action out of you
0: mm, yeah I think that's so important for people to control their mind space is like yeah. control the morning because yeah. it's the same thing sometimes I get really busy and I start skipping my morning routine and like you said all of a sudden it's like your moods day to day, you're not in control of that. But when you can, you can get that time in the morning and whether that's, you know, some people may not need to start their day till later. So they don't have to necessarily wake up at 4 or 5 a.m. like a lot of people try to pitch. But, um, you know, if you're starting work at 7, then perhaps it is the 4 or 5 a.m. But get that time to yourself in the morning.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: All right. Question number two. This is always, some people answer it really quickly. Some people don't. Um, Let's say you're like 90 years old and you're looking back on life if you could describe your legacy in one word, what would that word be? <laughs> it's wow. a tough one.
1: That's a tough one. One word. Joy, maybe.
0: Mm. You know what? I, I haven't got that. So I really like it. All, right. yeah. All
1: right.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. So, okay. Well, where can people go and learn more about Commune Capital and more about what you do?
1: Uh, if you want to know more about Commune, you can go to our website, communecapital.com. Uh, we have an Instagram at Commune Capital. We have our YouTube, all Commune Capital. Uh, and then if you want to find me, it's just Mikey Taylor and all the platforms. Uh, and My hot kick right now is TikTok. I'm going tough on TikTok. Yes. So if you guys are on TikTok, uh, get at (laughs) me there.
0: (laughs) I I remember when you first like, you popped up on my TikTok and I was like, this is awesome. I'm so stoked that you're getting into it because it seems to like suit you really well. You can give those quick tips and make it relatable for anyone. I like it a lot.
1: Yeah, I like it. It's definitely my favorite platform right now.
0: Uh, Yeah, me too. I think a lot of people looked at it like, what is this at the start? But the people who've been able to capitalize, it's Mm. such a great way to communicate, I think.
1: Yeah. I agree. Totally agree.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for spending the hour with me and for chatting. Um, I mean, I learned a lot. I hope everyone else learned a lot. Um, if you're just tuning in, you only listen to part of it. It'll be on my podcast next week, Friday. So I really appreciate you coming on.
1: Oh, no, I appreciate you having me. This is amazing.
0: Awesome. Well, enjoy. I see your kids are like, they were jumping on the trampoline. <laughs> so they'll probably rope you into that. That's so right. Enjoy your rest of your uh, your Friday here.
1: Thank you. You too. All right. Bye. Bye.